study uh, through 1 Samuel. We went through a little over half of it last time, long chapter, 58 verses. We'll finish the chapter tonight. Uh, but before we dive into the text and I catch you up to speed, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and guide us through your word, that you would speak to us through this text, it's such a popular text, Lord, but I pray uh, once again that we wouldn't uh, check out because we've heard this story so many times, uh, but you would reveal something new to us, something fresh, uh, God, uh, about yourself, about us, about the characters in the text, and uh, as Michael prayed, you would change us from the inside out as we dive into your word. Lord, so so move in power. We want to see your glory uh, through um, the word tonight. In your name, amen. All right. Uh, so we were introduced to, to David back in chapter 16, and he was anointed to be king over Israel. And we just see the character of David and how he isn't a king like King Saul. In fact, he's actually the opposite. Less is uh, spoken concerning his appearance. He's a, a few phrases to describe his appearance. Uh, but more uh, words are used to describe his, his, his character, uh, who he is from the inside out. And one thing specifically we know is that David was a man after God's heart. Uh, and we actually see this start to play itself out uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, just before he goes and battles Goliath. Remember, no one wanted to fight Goliath. Uh, he was intimidating. He was uh, this monstrous man somewhere between eight and a half feet and 11 feet tall. Who would want to fight him? And the logical conclusion uh, as to who would fight him would be King Saul because he was taller than any other man. And King Saul, he didn't want to fight him. Uh, so he says, I'll give a reward for some Someone who will fight him. David, uh, he comes along, stumbles along the army, bringing his brother's food, and he says, I'll fight him. Uh, and, and that's re- really where we left off. I think one of the crucial things we have to remember in studying this chapter is uh, this chapter really is a picture of Christ and how God would provide a savior for his people. David is a type of Christ. Uh, and we'll see that throughout his life. There's many things that happen with David that we see happen to Jesus in the gospels. He isn't Christ. He isn't the Messiah. He isn't perfect. Far from it. Uh, but we see a shadow of the Savior that would come through the person of David. Now, David, as we saw at the end of our study last week, he was the only one willing to step up and fight Goliath. And he was willing to do this despite the discouragement, despite the discouragement from uh, the people, despite the discouragement from Eliab, his brother, and despite the dis- uh, the discouragement from, from King Saul, his leader. They all like, you're going to lose. There's no way you can do this. But David knew that this was possible because God had given him different experiences before that he could relate to uh, as as far as conquering giants and uh, we saw that he uh, he was able to to take out the lion and take out the bear and he realized in that moment that God had used all these things in his life to prepare him for this specific moment and taking on his third giant which would be Goliath the title of this teaching it's just the second part of what it was last week conquering giants part two Conquering Giants Part 2. Same theme. Um, Obviously, this is where he actually slays the giant. We'll pull out some different principles. There are some things that are synonymous with what we uh, studied, but we'll look at some different things as well. 
Now remember, David was the conqueror of giants, of the giant, and other giants, the bear and the lion. But ultimately, it's a picture of Christ as a conqueror. It's not really that we conquer the giants. It's that Christ conquers the giants and we get to share in that victory. He says, we're more than conquerors in Christ who loved us. The only way we're able to conquer giants is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we'll see in this text, the only way David was able to win this battle, the only reason he was able to slay this giant isn't because he was good with a sling it was because Yahweh had his back it was the favor of God on his life now when I say giants in the text uh, what I really mean is anything and everything that has the appearance that it's bigger than you Okay, Uh, it's a person in this text, but we can link it to really anything that we face in our life, any obstacle that we look at and we say, this is overwhelming. This is too big for me. It could be a a new opportunity, a a job, a situation or position that's that's just so overwhelming. Uh, It could be struggles in relationships, whether it's a friend or a family member, struggle in marriage, struggle with a child. It could be financial struggles struggles. It could be a trial of any kind, a loss in the family. So when I say giants, I'm sure you got a giant in your life that you've overcome, or maybe you got one right now that you're battling with, attempting to overcome. So when I speak of giants, I'm not just speaking of Goliath. I'm speaking of everything in our life that appears to be bigger than us. Let's bring it to the text. First Samuel chapter 17. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed them with a coat of mail. He's preparing him for this battle with Goliath. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. See, Saul was still in the physical. He was thinking carnally. So he thinks if there's any way that David's going to be able to overcome this giant, it's got to be with the best weapons, with the best tools. He needs my armor because I have the best of the best. He's still thinking physically, but David, he's thinking spiritually. This is point number one. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. And David knew this. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, Saul had this mindset of mentality. He had this mindset that this was a physical battle, but David knew something that Saul didn't. He knew this was a spiritual battle. He had already made reference to Yahweh and the fact that Yahweh was going to deliver him. See, David 
would trust in the weapons that God provided. Yes, he did use physical weapons, which we'll get into in a moment and describe some of these things. But primarily, he was focused on spiritual methods to overcome this obstacle, to overcome this battle. And when you think about it, David, he's trusting in the things that he trusted in before. Specifically Yahweh, but he's trusting in the sling. He's trusting in the stones. He's trusting in the methods that he used before to overcome the other giants in his life. Meaning, no matter what obstacles we're facing, it's the same spiritual tools that we use to overcome them. It's always the same. Now, it could look different in certain circumstances, and there might be one spiritual tool that's more fit for that circumstance, but it's always the same. The way we overcome giants, the way we overcome obstacles, it's through spiritual disciplines. It's through the discipline of prayer. It's through the discipline of fasting. It's through the discipline of getting in the Word. It's through the discipline of confession and fellowship and all these different things that the Lord asks us to do the spiritual weapons don't change they're always the same and david knew for me to overcome this giant i just got to do the same thing i did to overcome the giants previously sometimes we uh, encounter a giant that's bigger than the last one uh, an obstacle that's bigger than anything we faced before and we think we need to come up with a new method how am i going to overcome this giant do what you did the last time. Pray, fast, get in the word, get in fellowship and accountability. Confess whatever it takes. Do the things that the Lord is asking you to do and he will give you victory over the giants. See, David, he got this. So he says, back in 1 Samuel, chapter 17, we're going to break this little section down a little bit more. He said, he couldn't walk in the armor because he hadn't tested it, so he took it off. See, Saul's armor, it didn't fit David physically or spiritually. Saul was trying to make David someone that he wasn't intended to be. And David realized that he wasn't supposed to fill Saul's shoes. He was a different type of person. He had a different way of fighting. Yes, Saul was a successful warrior, but David would be a far more successful warrior. He used different types of tools than Saul had used. David knew he wasn't supposed to be like King Saul. Though Saul was his leader, he knew he was supposed to be a different type of person, a different type of leader, a different type of man. It's easy for us sometimes to look at even a leader or or someone maybe that we respect. And we see David did respect Saul. Uh, It's hard to know why sometimes, but he did. Uh, and we can look at certain people and be like, uh, I want to be like them. I want to, I want to be successful in the capacity that they're successful. Likely David Saul saw he's a successful warrior. But again, David knew he wasn't supposed to be like Saul. Sadly, but truly, we often fall in this place, uh, where we're trying to be like someone else. We're, we're trying to, to be like a specific individual. Now, I'm not saying don't follow godly leaders and godly examples. Yes, we're supposed to do that but the point is david knew his identity and he wasn't trying to find his identity linked to saul he was trying to find his identity linked to god and that's the truth about david he wasn't trying to be something that he wasn't he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't and he was confident in who he was because he was confident in god he found his identity in yahweh 
We're going to see the flip of this next week in chapter 18. Saul becomes very jealous of David uh, in, in many ways. So David, he took off the armor. He wasn't trying to be Saul, trying to be himself. But not only that, it says in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the book brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, we see the tools that he has. He has a staff, he has a sling, he has five stones. Now it comes up, people ask a question, why did he grab five stones? Did he lack faith? Did he think that it was going to take five stones to kill Goliath? Based on the verbiage and how David communicates, he's very confident that God's going to give him favor. He's going to take out Goliath. So I absolutely don't believe it was a lack of faith. Some say because Goliath, we see, had uh, four relatives, four brothers down the road that David, anticipating that he was going to slay future giants, he picked up five stones, one for each giant. But it doesn't say that David knew that. It doesn't say that he knew that Goliath had these other relatives, these other brothers. And we see in 2 Samuel towards the end that these giants are actually slayed. But they're not just slayed by David. They're slayed by, the text says, David and his servants. So why did he pick up five stones? Truth is, we don't know. We don't know why he picked up five stones, but it could have been this. Obviously, he's not going to trust the Philistines, even though they say it's a one-on-one battle. He was likely thinking, in my opinion, okay, I got to pick up a few extra stones in case these Philistines come after me. After I slay Goliath, I know it's going to take one to knock out Goliath, but I don't know how many people are going to come after me after that. I believe that's the best explanation. We'll ask him one day when we meet him in heaven. First um, Samuel chapter 17. Verse 40, 41 said, So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. So think about this. Look at this. We got Goliath. He, he's enormous. He's well-equipped. He's experienced. And not only that, he has an armor bearer with him. He's got, there's two guys there. It's not just Goliath. You got two guys there. So at first glance, you can look at this and be like, dude, this isn't fair. Goliath, he's huge already, and he's got another dude with him. And David's just a little shepherd boy. At first glance, it looks like it's two on one. But when we look at this with spiritual eyes, we realize it's two on two. (laughs) Goliath might have his armor bearer, but David's got Yahweh. Okay, so this is already just looking at the text. We know this is a battle that Goliath can't win. Anyone with spiritual eyes already sees this battle is already done with. Everybody there is probably thinking David's going to get whooped, right? But anyone looking at this with spiritual eyes, we already know Yahweh's got David's back. Goliath is done for. Goes on to say, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So when you look at this expression, the Philistine looked about, uh, the original Hebrew is like this. He had a hard time seeing David. Meaning like he was so small and there was all these people like the Goliath actually had to look for like, who's the guy I'm fighting? Like, where is he? So David obviously was, was, uh, 
was a very small individual compared to Goliath. We know he's ruddy. We know he's a youth, a young man at this point. So Goliath, it says he disdained him. Meaning he looked down upon him. There was nothing to fear in David. You wouldn't look at David and be like, oh, that guy's going to beat me up. You, you wouldn't look at David and go, man, he's got me. Goliath is like, dude, really? Like this is an insult. And he gets into the insult here in a moment. This next verse, verse 43 So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, the Philistine is looking down upon David and he makes this comment. But what we see is this continued theme from 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse, or 16 verse 7. He says, don't look as, at his outward appearance. He's speaking to Samuel, uh, referring to the conversation uh, that he's having with Jesse's son, specifically Eliab. He says, don't look at his outward appearance. We see Goliath is falling into the same trap. He's looking at the outward appearance of David and he's thinking, no way can this guy get me. And so he makes this expression, he makes this comment again in verse 43, am I a that you come to me with sticks. It's kind of funny when you when you first read them. I you're coming to me with sticks. Like like what are you going to do? Like I'm this big powerful warrior, and you're going to come to me with sticks. Am I a dog? Now this is a little okay. We don't have children in the room. <laughs> this word dog actually uh, is a word that's specifically used for a male homosexual prostitute. That, that's what this word is used for. Uh, and if you want to look at something in the future, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18, the same expression is used. So basically, what Goliath is saying is that this is an insult. You're going to send me this little boy. I'm going to whoop him. You're basically looking at me like like I'm a girly man. That's really what he's saying. You're looking at me like I'm a girly man, like I'm a dog. This kid's going to come at me with sticks. It's an insult to even send such a such a small puny individual after me to fight me. That's what he's getting at. He's insulted, but at the same time, he's trying to beat David down with his words. He's trying to defeat him before the battle begins. Point number 2. Don't be defeated by the enemy's discouragement. Don't be defeated by the enemy's discouragement. And we see David wasn't. But sometimes it's easy for us too. Now the enemy, obviously I'm not talking just about Goliath. The enemy, Satan, he, he, he often tries to discourage us. And one of the main ways he does it is to try to convince us of lies about ourselves. He tries to convince us of things about ourselves that aren't true. Why? Because he's a, the father of lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, <laughs> the Bible says that he's the father of lies, meaning like he, he, he was the first liar ever. He's the father of lies. Lies, they come from his spirit and he'll use lies to destroy us. He'll use lies to devour us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, when we think about a lion, immediately we think, okay, attacked by a wild animal, he's going to eat me at something physical. And that could happen. 
But we see most of the time, the enemy he tries to get in our heads. He tries to make us believe things that simply aren't true. He tries to make us feel defeated before the battle begins so he can take us out of the battle so he doesn't have to worry about it. These lies, it could be, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I I know where you've been. God can never use you. God can't use you. Look at what you've done in the past. Look at who you were. That sin, you're never overcoming that. Are you serious? You fall back into that thing time and time again. There is no way you're going to have victory in this life, specifically in that area. You might as well give up. Why are you trying so hard for something that you'll never accomplish? And these are all lies from the enemy. He tries to defeat us before the battle even starts. That's exactly what Goliath is attempting to do with David. He's trying to get in his head, make him think about himself in a certain way. He wants him to see, uh, Goliath wants David to see himself as Goliath does. But David, he, he doesn't do that. He sees himself as Yahweh does. And that's why he's able to continue to press forward. Now, Goliath, Obviously, isn't seeing what God sees. He sees a youth with sticks and a sling. But he doesn't see Yahweh behind the youth with the sticks and the sling. He's not seeing the spiritual. He doesn't realize the God that created him is behind David. And it says, verse 43, at the end, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. We've already seen in 1 Samuel chapter 5 what Yahweh does to the Philistine gods. You remember? They brought the Ark of the Covenant before Dagon and what happened? Next day, Dagon's flat on his face in an act of worship towards Yahweh. They try to raise the idol back up as we do sometimes as well. And what happened? Yahweh crushed that thing. He smashed the thing. Its head fell off and everything. So we see what Yahweh does to the Philistine gods. Maybe Goliath didn't know this. Maybe he wasn't around. Maybe it was a long time ago. But if any of his friends are aware of this story, they probably should have mentioned that to him. You don't want to curse this God with our gods. He whoops our gods. He wrecks our gods. Apparently, Goliath didn't get the message. So it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He asks David to come to him. Why? I'm not sure, uh, but perhaps it was because he felt a little guilty running after a little boy. Maybe he thought, okay, if David runs towards me, if this little kid runs towards me, I won't feel bad because I'm defending myself. But if I have, if I'm coming after him, it's child abuse. Uh, We don't know exactly what Goliath was thinking, but we also see a parallel uh, uh, with Jonathan, right? He asked God to give him confirmation earlier against the Philistine garrison. He says, if the Philistines call me up to them, then I know God's given me the victory. But if they came to come down to us, we better run because God's not in this. And what happened? The Philistines called him up and... um, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer were able to wipe out uh, a bunch of the Philistines. So this could have been confirmation for David. We don't know. He didn't ask God the same thing. But Goliath says, come to me. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
basically David saying, those are some fancy weapons you got there, but it's nothing compared to, to my secret weapon, the Lord God of hosts. That's exactly who he puts points to. He says, you see sticks, but you don't see Yahweh. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Point number three, Yahweh is our greatest weapon. Yahweh is our greatest weapon. We know this. But do we really think about it? <clears throat> we got to think. We got to consider who has our back. See, David, he knows who has his back. He's not confident in the sling. He's probably really good with the sling. But his confidence isn't stemming from his ability to sling a sling. His confidence is stemming from the relationship he has with Yahweh. That's it. That's where all that boldness and courage is coming from. It's amazing. It's fascinating to think, to consider who we got fighting for us. If you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 50, I want to point to two scriptures here. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 25. It says, The Lord has opened his armory and has brought out the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. The Lord's armory, I don't even know what that looks like. Like, the Lord's got an armory, and it's like, what, like, what? It's not, it's something so much more magnificent than what the Philistines have. Yeah, he's got this armor, he's got this spear, he's got his armor bearer. He, they have the, the most sophisticated tools or weapons around during that time period. But God's got an armory too. And it's much more sophisticated, obviously, than what the Philistines have. We also see this in Exodus chapter 15, after the Lord parted the Red Sea and gave the Israelites a a little victory. In Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses, it starts off, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We don't always look at that character quality of God, like the Lord is a man of war. Well, what's he fighting? He's fighting sin. He's fighting our enemies, the enemies of God's people. He's fighting quite a few things, but but he's at war and we're in the middle of a war as we speak here on earth. There's always a war going on around us. Paul makes this clear as he talks to Timothy. He says, uh, engage as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, recognizing that you're in battle all the time. I think it's so easy, us, easy for us to, to, to check out and kick back and just think, you know, we're going through the routine, our daily lives, work, kids, wife, husband, the whole deal. And we forget that we're literally at war. We're, we're at war. But the good thing about this is we got the greatest weapon there will ever be. And our God... Yahweh, David knew this. David knew the key to his victory was God. That was the only way that he was going to win. The same is true for us. If we want victory in this life, it will only come 
through our relationship with Yahweh. And there can be moments where we feel defeated, but ultimately the victory comes through Yahweh. We can't forget it. Sometimes we think, look at what I've done. <laughs> look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done in my life. Look at the changes that I've made. Look at how far I've come. I've experienced some victory. But the moment we start thinking about that, the moment we have those ideas in our mind is where we really got it backwards and and twisted. The only reason that we are where we are, if you've experienced any of victory in your life, uh, and I'm talking about spiritual victory, is because of Yahweh. He gives us the victory. We can't get it twisted and think, I'm going to fight this fight on my own. I'm going to win this battle on my own. It's never going to happen. And why would we even think that way or attempt to fight this battle alone when we have the greatest weapon? In Yahweh, the one who's already declared victory for us, the one who we get to share, we get to partake in the victory that he's already won. So David, he tells him why, (laughs) why Yahweh's going to get him. And he says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the reason he defied the armies of Israel. Now, what does this mean? Basically, David's saying you bashed Yahweh's kids. Okay, you talk smack, you bullied Yahweh's kids, and he isn't having it. He's not having it. Imagine, many of you have kids, not everyone, but you can even just think about this if you did. Imagine if you knew some big bully was bullying your kids, okay? Whether it's at school or in the neighborhood or whatever, what would you do? Don't answer me. I won't answer you. It probably shouldn't share something like that from the pulpit. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> but if you had someone bullying your kids, some big giant, What would you do? That's exactly what's happening in the text. There's a big bully bullying God's kids and he's going to do something about it. Like Yahweh bullies the bullies. He he takes care of the bullies. There's no bully that's bigger than Yahweh. Now Yahweh is not a bully, but he hates the bullies of God's people so much that he's determined to humble the bullies. And that's exactly what he's going to do here in a moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not say with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into our hands. Let's break this down a little bit. We see David's confidence. It's not in his sling. It's not in the stones. His confidence is the Lord. He doesn't say, you got all these sophisticated weapons, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to humble you with a, with a sling and a stone. No, 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 that's not what he says. He gives all the credit, all the glory to Yahweh. But look at the confidence in which uh, David speaks. He knows this. He says, the Lord will, not might. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. Now, how could David know something like this? I'm not sure. We know David is also considered a prophet, right? Perhaps Yahweh told him. Perhaps Yahweh in somewhere where we don't read, he told David, I got you, boy. I- I'm going to get your back and you're going to smoke this, this giant. We don't know. But David, he has such full-fledged faith. He knows for a fact that he's going to take out the giant. But there's a reason why. There's a reason why David knows this, not just because perhaps God spoke it to him or he has this faith, 
There's a purpose for God taking out this Goliath, this giant. And he says, look at the end of verse 46. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This wasn't just about defeating the enemy. This is about making God known. And that's the truth when you look at giants. We look at giants and they can be intimidating. They can be scary. They can be overwhelming. But God gives us giants to make himself known. That's the fourth point. God sends us giants to make himself known. God sends us giants to make himself known. And this is really what trials are all about. They're they're all about, yes, growing us, perfecting us, changing us, but making him known. The whole reason he grows us and perfects us and changes us, yes, it's because he loves us, but he wants to make himself known through us. And when we look at trials, that's the, the point. The Lord wants to be glorified through the trial. Let's look at a couple passages. First Peter, first Peter, chapter one, verse six. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a lot happening there in that text and that purification of faith, but also that revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning God walks us through trials to make himself known to us. He walks us through trials to make himself known to us, but not just to us, to the world around us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, if you want to write it down, Colossians 1, 27 it says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He does these things in our life. He brings obstacles, opposition, giants, if you will, to make himself known to us personally and to the world around us that people can look at us and see Christ in us, the hope of glory. We literally can be an avenue of hope if we walk through the trials in a way that glorifies God. If someone can see us overcome a giant that's similar to the giant that we're facing, it gives us hope. Wow, I saw this person walk through this with the fruit of the spirit they were bearing love they were bearing joy they were bearing peace i want that how do you overcome how how do you overcome a giant like that well i'll tell you how it's 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 christ in me the hope of glory so he does it to reveal himself to us he also does it to make himself known to the world around us that all the earth may know that there is a god in israel David knows that Yahweh wants to make himself known, not to make himself popular, to make himself known so that people will know the only means by which they can be saved. I might have mentioned this story before, but it's one of my favorites. Um, I had this friend uh, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale named Dot. Jim and Dot, they were uh, missionaries from Ireland. Um, it was Ireland or Scotland? I'm pretty sure it was Ireland. And, and they came to the States and they just, they just stayed and they worked in the outreach department um, at, at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. 
And they were just such an awesome, awesome couple. So cool. So many great stories. Uh, an older couple. So they had a lot of ministry experience. Uh, and, uh, this, this dot told me the story one time. Um, she, uh, got a call from the doctor. She just got blood work done and tests. And the doctor said, uh, sorry, dot, I have to tell you this. Um, you have cancer and it's not looking good. And dot immediately didn't even think about it. Didn't even hesitate. She says, well, Who's got to get saved? Is it you? Right off the bat. She thinks right off the bat, God's using this giant to make himself known to someone. It's like, God gave me cancer? Yeah, that's not the greatest thing, but I'm going to embrace it because I know God's doing this for his glory so that he might make it known to the doctor or whoever. But this is the case with the Lord. He gives us these things for that specific purpose. David also says this in humility, but also wisdom. In verse 47, he says, for the battle is the Lord's. It wasn't David's battle. It was the Lord's battle. And we often think about the story with David and Goliath. David's such a hero. He is, but David gives all this credit to God. The battle is the Lord's. It's not David. But this is true of our battles as well. The battles that we face are not just our battles, they're the Lord's battles. He, he, he takes them personally. He takes responsibility for them in a, to a degree. David recognized this, this battle was the Lord's. And he also says this, <clears throat> the end of verse 47, and he will give you into our hands, not his hands. He doesn't say, he'll give you into my hands. He says, he'll give you into our hands. David isn't thinking about himself just slaying a giant. He thinks about Yahweh using this act for the victory, not just of God, but the victory of God's people, our hands. He still feels part of the team. It's not like he's just trying to be the hero. He's trying to do this for God and God's people. You'll deliver him into our hands. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Let's break this down a little bit. Back to verse 48, we see David. He runs towards the army. This is full-fledged faith, not just Goliath, the entire army. He's like, I'm ready if it's Goliath, if it's, if it's all of you. We see no fear in David, not even a minuscule bit of fear. All faith. So he takes the sling. He slings it. First shot. And knocks him out. 
hits Goliath right in the forehead. Now, David, he likely uh, became proficient with the sling uh, while he was there tending sheep. I've mentioned this before. Tending sheep is not an exciting task. Uh, it gets pretty boring sometimes unless a lion or a bear or an animal comes after them. Uh, but he probably, during that time, he'd just like go around slinging stuff, probably not slinging things at sheep. Uh, he's probably had little targets set up, you know, um, different animals that would come by to try to get him. And when you look at a sling, um, if you've seen a sling, it's like a, like a rope with a little pocket on it, a little pouch, and you would put the stones in. Now, these stones were typically about two to three inches in diameter, so about this big. Um, but when you see how fast a sling can go, if you were good at slinging a sling, you could sling a sling anywhere from 100 to 150 miles per hour. Okay, like you think about a major league fastball, the fastest pitchers are throwing low, low 100s. And that is like ridiculously fast. Like you can sling a sling 33% faster than that. And actually, I've seen this with the with the with an older, older man in Liberia. He was a pastor, actually, this old little guy. So funny. But he said, I got a sling. And you know, obviously he was a big fan of David uh, and he wanted to show us this sling. And I'm like, all right, like, what, uh, how hard can this guy really do it? And he whipped that thing around and just the thing took off through this uh uh, th- this field, uh, is, uh, uh, they were farmers, uh, but it was so fast. I'm like, man, it, it, if you haven't seen a sling slung, if you will, um, <laughs> it, it's a very powerful weapon. Like this is no joke. This isn't like some little kid's toy. It's like, it is, it is serious. Uh, you can do a lot of damage with a sling, but it wasn't this sling ultimately that killed Goliath. Or laid him out. It was Yahweh's favor on David's life. It, it was ultimately Yahweh behind the stone that, that killed David. So often we think, oh man, David slayed Goliath with a sling and a stone. And that's true, but that's not the whole truth. David knows this. He doesn't say the sling is going to deliver you into our hands. He says Yahweh is going to. He knew God's favor was behind that stone. That was the reason that he was able to have victory. So it says that this Philistine, he fell on his face before David. This is interesting because just as Goliath's god, Dagon, fell on his face before Yahweh, the Philistine Goliath who worships Dagon, he falls on his face before Yahweh's king. Interesting parallel there. But another cool thing that we see here is that because David didn't have a sword, I don't know if he thought this through or not, uh, but he didn't have a sword because he had one at one point and he gave it up from Saul. Um, but he didn't have a sword, so he ran over there, he grabbed Goliath's sword, and he cut off his head. He literally used the enemy's own weapon to defeat him. Does that remind you of anything? It's what Christ did. Christ used the enemy's own weapon to defeat him. He used... He used death to defeat the enemy. The wages of sin uh, is death. That was the point. That's why Satan tried to and was successful in bringing sin into the world so he could bring death to God's creation. Jesus used the enemy's weapon to defeat him. We see that everywhere. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It, it talks about how the crucifixion, through the crucifixion, through the death of Christ, he was victorious over the, the principalities and powers, meaning Satan and his, and his demons. Another parallel. 
And it says, after this, after he killed him, verse 51, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. David's faith became the Philistines' fear. This is very similar to what happened with Jonathan. When he took that step step of faith and wiped out Philistines, they started running and the Israelites came out of the woodworks and their hiding places. But we know from earlier in Scripture that the Philistines are breaking a promise. If you look back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 9, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 9, remember the deal that Goliath made was that whoever lost the battle, they would have to become the other person's servants. They had to become their other, the other people's slaves. So the Philistines, they don't keep their word. But would we expect anything less? The enemy obviously is not going to keep his word. They were supposed to become the Israelite servants. Instead, they ran away, afraid. Verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then... The children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. Again, similar to Jonathan, we see that David's faith became the people's faith. David took a step of faith. Remember, earlier in this chapter, the Israelites, all of the men are terrified. They're trembling. No one wants to go to battle with Goliath, but one person. One person stands up, takes a step of faith, and that faith becomes contagious. And we can never minimize this. It's true for all our, of our lives. Maybe we'll never be a king like David. The chances are probably not. We live in America. But the, the point is that God gives us opportunities to take steps of faith in our life. And we often think that it's just for us, but typically it's usually much more than just for us. It's for the people around us. Because when you see one person take a step of faith, it literally is contagious. When you see the courage, the bravery, and it might not be slaying a giant, it might be sharing the gospel. And you see that person, they share the gospel in front of you and maybe they don't even go to our church and you go, man, I need to do that more often. That that step of faith made me, now I'm going to share the gospel. And it could be anything. The point is, when the Lord lays something on our heart to do it and we can allow faith to overcome fear, walk in it, most of the time that step of faith isn't just going to affect us. It's going to affect the people around us. And David was able to inspire the faith of the people despite his youth, despite the fact that he was young. Remember, we talked about it last time, but what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, 1 Timothy 4, 12, he says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer. And youth we can look at that and say, well, I don't think I'm a youth anymore. Okay, that might be true. But the point is really any weakness or shortcoming that we think we might have. Uh, I, I, I really can't do this because I, I can't speak well or I can't do this because I don't feel comfortable praying in front of people or I can't do this for whatever reason because I have some shortcoming or I'm not confident in a certain character quality in myself. The Lord says, don't let anyone despise that. Do what God's asking you to do regardless. It doesn't matter who you are. 
and where you are in your walk, God calls us all to be examples because as we're an example in faith, the faith spreads just as it did with David. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So David, he basically took the head and the sword as... Uh, as trophies in a sense, not for himself, but for the nation of Israel to be able to rejoice in this victory. Verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of different uh, interpretations of this, meaning we know that uh, in the end of the last chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, David was leading worship for Saul. So how does Saul not know who he is now? And even in 17, before he comes out and brings the uh, food to his brothers, it says he went back and forth from shepherding his father's flock and leading worship to, uh, uh, for Saul. So it's not that Saul hadn't met David at this point. We see that he met him even in the beginning of this chapter and in the last chapter. So this brings up some confusion. What's going on with Saul? Okay. Um, one thing could be, remember, he said whoever kills Goliath, he promised uh, that person uh, would be able to marry his daughter. So one explanation is that he wanted to know the family better because he was going to give this his daughter to this guy. That could be. Uh, another reason could be, remember, that distressing spirit would come upon Saul and he would go mad. He would go crazy. So And that's when David would play. So perhaps when David was playing, Saul was mad and he was wasn't really focused on who David was, but it does appear in First Samuel chapter 16 that he has contact with him and he does meet him and he actually, uh, David found favor in his eyes. Um, so there's some different explanations. Uh, I honestly don't know which one's the best, but we know for a fact um, that David obviously uh, met Saul prior to this. Um, perhaps he was just crazy. Or uh, another explanation is that, that David had gotten older at this point. Um, he's still a young man, but maybe some time passed and he didn't just, he, he, he just didn't recognize him. I really don't have the answer for you. It's just interesting. It kind of throws you off when you read that. So <clears throat> David <clears throat> has this encounter with Saul. He brought victory to Israel, he brought victory to God, and we begin to see this character David. And though many of us have, have, have read these uh, stories about David, uh, he just right off the bat, he just captures you. <laughs> you just look at him like, man, David is awesome. He's so cool. And, and I think really one of the biggest reasons why we are so attracted to David is because he has so many similar character qualities to Christ. And, and that's the point. That's why so many people love David, because he was so similar to who the Messiah would be. David, again, is just a shadow of Jesus. He's a shadow of the Messiah. As great as David is, it was all just to give us a picture of, of of Jesus and how much better Jesus was. We see David, yes, he slays this giant. He brings victory for his people. 
But as I mentioned last week, this was a shadow of the victory that Christ was going to bring. Defeating our greatest enemies, cell, hell, cell, sin, hell, cell. Sin, hell, death, uh, all these things. Um, and we look at that and we know that we have victory in Christ and we have victory e- eternally. In fact, it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, uh, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We share in the victory of Christ. But sometimes we can feel like we get beat up in the present. And sometimes we can feel like we face moments of defeat or even seasons of defeat. But the victory isn't just for the future. It's for the present. And we can rest assured that Jesus is greater than any giant that we've ever faced or will ever face. And we can never think first that a giant is too big for Jesus to overcome in our life. This is just too big for Jesus. This is too big for the Lord. There's no way he can help me overcome this. I know he can handle this, but he can't help me overcome this. And we can fall into the mentality that he's just not strong enough. Or we don't have the faith that he could actually do what he says he can do. And then the other side of the spectrum is, this is too small for him to think about. This obstacle, it might be kind of big for me, but, but this, is, this is small potatoes to the Lord. This isn't really a big deal. But the truth of the matter is, there isn't a giant too big that he's not able to overcome. And there's not a giant too small that would lead him to a place that he's not concerned. <laughs> he's intimately involved. He's deeply concerned about all the obstacles that we face in our life. Now, we know that that doesn't mean that he's going to uh, prevent us from ever facing obstacles. We see one of the big reasons why he gives us obstacles. It's to make himself known. So if you're in a position right now walking through a season or even a recent situation maybe it's a little giant maybe it's a big giant little trial big trial whatever the case may be don't fool yourself or trick yourself into thinking that he doesn't care that he's not in that that he's not present with you because he'll use that giant as big as it is or as small as it is for your benefit for your sanctification for 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 your growth, and ultimately for His glory. If you're facing one of those things right now, remember, bottom line, He's going to use it to make Himself known. But how He's made known often depends on us and how we walk through that. Will we walk in the victory that's already been won? Or will we assume that we've already been defeated? Let's pray. Lord, we... Thank you for how good you are, how, how you are fighting for us, how, how powerful you are, how strong you are, how much you care for us, God. And, and it's easy for us to get overwhelmed when different obstacles come our way and, and look at the Goliaths of the world and, and go, no way, there's no way I can defeat this thing, Lord, but we know There's nothing beyond you. There's nothing beyond your power and ability to help us overcome whatever obstacle it is. Lord, we know that there's nothing too small for you not to be concerned. God, we know that we're your children and you love us deeply and you're concerned about all the things that we face. I pray that you would give us the faith as you gave David to be so confident in you that we would be able to say, he's going to deliver me from the giant. 
glory. So we love you. We thank you. In your name, amen.